So we're in the Scent series, looking at kind of the first part of Acts over this series, how the first believers um, just started to advance the kingdom. Um, Jesus has ascended and promised the Holy Spirit to come and give them power. Uh, he's commissioned them um, multiple times, right? The Great Commission, go and make disciples. Uh, he's commissioned them again and saying the Spirit's going to come and give you power because you're going to be my witnesses, right? You are the vehicle for this message, uh, the followers of Jesus. You're the people who are going to carry the, the message of hope, the message of life and transformation uh, to the ends of the earth. And so he doesn't just say, go to the ends of the earth. He says, start right here. Start in your hometown, right? And then go to the, the neighboring regions and just continue out so that the gospel can spread to all those people. And so last Sunday we were in Acts 4 and we talked about the boldness that the early church ministered with and uh, tried to point out that this boldness is from the Spirit. It's not from ourselves. It's not from the courage we muster up or just kind of will ourselves to do hard things. That, but true boldness in Christ comes from the Spirit within us uh, to do the things that God has called us to do. Secondly, it hinges, this boldness hinges on Jesus himself. We read in Acts 4 too that there's no other name given to men by which they must be saved. There is salvation in no one else except Jesus. And so it hinges, the boldness hinges and focuses on Jesus. And lastly, you said that boldness has to work its way out. In Acts 4.20, uh, the disciples said, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so if we're truly changed, truly convinced and convicted about what God has done in our lives, truly in awe, truly wanting to share that grace, not just enjoy that grace, but extend that grace to others, then that boldness will work its way out and we will not stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. So today we'll be encouraged by some, some of the proof that God's hand is in this mission that he sent us on uh, and we'll be challenged by the fact that it's a lifelong call that he's placed on us. As we consider today that we are sent to persevere we're sent to persevere. And in this perseverance, there's a sense of not just we have to keep trying in the face of hard things, but a sense of God will preserve us throughout all of the hard things because his purposes cannot be thwarted. If he has a mission, a plan for us, then there's not, there's not anyone who can uh, throw that mission off. If that's what God wants to happen, if God is willing something and working in it, nothing can stop him from doing that if he doesn't want to be stopped or allow them to stop him, right? Nothing um, can conquer God's plan. And we're going to cover uh, a lot of text today. Um, it's kind of been back and forth in Acts, right? Sometimes we'll do a survey of a big passage. Sometimes we'll look at five verses um, just to kind of highlight some of the different things. Uh, but today's going to cover multiple chapters, uh, I think, and so we're going to summarize quite a bit. Um, and then we'll land in a few spots, Okay. Um, so last week we, we left off the end, uh, towards the end of Acts chapter 4 where uh, the boldness of the, the, the apostles again preaching, getting arrested, still staying bold, um, and then they're released and they pray for more, more boldness. I don't know if you remember that towards the end uh, of that passage. They prayed for more boldness and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so that's kind of where we left off. And the chapter ends with just another kind of reminder that they had everything in common, that the church was so generous with each other that no one was in need. No one could say, oh, uh, you know, I have this unpaid bill or I, I can't meet this need or I can't feed my family, whatever it was. No one had that problem because the church was being so generous with each other that no one was in need. And they says that they had everything in common. Great grace was upon them all, we read. And so it tells the story of people who are starting to sell property. 
and then giving these proceeds to the church. And um, there's a, a man named Barnabas who sells his land and gives his money to the church. He sells the field and brings the money to the apostles. And that goes right into chapter 5, and it says, But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they sell some land. And instead of giving all of it to the church, they say they're giving all of it to the church, but they've really kept some back. So Ananias has kept some of the money. His wife is in on the plan. She knows about it. And then he goes to the apostles to give the money, and Peter just calls him out and says, I can't believe that you're trying to hide this, that you're lying to God, uh, that you would rob God. And then God strikes Ananias dead, and they carry him out. And then, I don't know all the context or details because we don't see them here, but about three hours later, his wife comes in. And Peter kind of tests her, maybe gives her an opportunity to come clean and says, so you sold this land, is this all the money that you made from the land? She said, yes, that's the price we sold it for. And this, it's a very dramatic line. It, it, it almost rings like a, a screenplay from a movie because Peter says, oh, I hear the footsteps of the men who carried off your husband. They're here to carry you off as well. And she drops dead. Very, very severe um, consequences here for, for lying, for uh, not having integrity in, with what they're doing um, because it was a big deal to have integrity at that point. Um, I don't think God does this to everyone in these circumstances, right? It's a very special um, thing that we're reading about here. But they um, are dead and gone, right? And Peter is basically, again, just calling out people for, for not being um, honest. And then it goes on to say that many more signs and wonders are done, um, that they were all together in, in the Solomon's portico, and they are still ministering, still worshiping, still gathering, still bringing in sick and healing them, um, healing people with unclean spirits, right? They're catching out demons and things, uh, and healing people in the name of Jesus. Many signs and wonders are being done, it says. So it's this massive movement that's continuing to gain momentum. Lives are being transformed, right? And so there's this really big, good upside that people are uh, experiencing all these things they've never experienced as the Holy Spirit's working in ways that, uh, that we don't often see today as the church is just this explosive growth. Well, of course, that's going to keep making these religious leaders angry, the people who are not, uh, not in line with thinking Jesus was the Messiah, uh, the people who have some uh, clout, some authority, some power. And we read that they are jealous. They're jealous of the, uh, of the, the uh, apostles and the movement and the, basically the authority and power and influence that they're starting to gain in the town uh, because God is actually doing things and changing people's lives. And they're jealous of that, and so they get angry. They're filled with jealousy, losing all this power and influence to them. And so Scripture is going to show us, um, as it has time and time again, that if God wants to accomplish something, he just gets it done. And so they're filled, again, the religious leaders filled with jealousy, so they're going to have the apostles arrested again and locked up and try to threaten them to say, stop doing this, stop spreading this message, you're causing a ruckus, uh, you're messing with our authority, you're messing with our, our clout. Um, and so we pick up in chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. So they're in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. 
Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So the first thing I want to point uh, out to us is that God will preserve us for his mission. God will preserve us for his mission. We read that the apostles are arrested, they're jailed, but God wants them out and preaching in the city. So he sends an angel to bust them out of jail, basically. The angel tells them to preach this life to the people. And we've talked in here before about how God doesn't need us to serve him, how he can use someone else if we don't participate in the mission that he's invited us to, um, or commanded us to live, which is true. He will accomplish his mission with or without us, and he'll do it with someone else if we're not obedient. But he can also be very persistent and persuasive if he has said, you are going to carry out this mission. If he really wants us to be the ones carrying it out, then he's going to keep uh, hounding us. Consider Jonah in the Old Testament who ran in the opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh and preach to those Ninevites uh, and tell them that if they'll repent, then God will have mercy on them. Jonah doesn't want them to be saved, and so he goes in the opposite direction, runs away from the calling of the Lord on his life. Now, God didn't dismiss Jonah from that calling, which he easily could have. He could have still punished Jonah and just gone to someone else and said, you go to Nineveh. He wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh, and so... 
uh, in a kind of familiar story that uh, we've heard about growing up, um, God pursues Jonah, right? Um, he has him tossed overboard from the raging seas. Uh, the, the, he tells the sailors, like, this storm is because of me. I'm in disobedience. And so they throw him overboard, um, basically to die. Uh, and I think Jonah at, the, at that point is like, I'm just going to die because God's just going to make life terrible for me. Um, and so he kind of just is like, throw me to the sea. Uh, but God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah, uh, which is really gross, but it didn't swallow him to eat him. Uh, it's a grace. This great fish is a grace in Jonah's life, uh, even though it's still a time of a trial and just disgustingness. And while he's in there, Jonah's finally convinced that he will go uh, to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. Um, he still ends up with a kind of a bad attitude, but he does what he's told to do. So that just shows us that, you know, God will accomplish his mission with or without us, but if he really wants you to do it, uh, he's going to stay after you um, because God gets uh, done what he wants to get done. Here in Acts, God is still working signs and wonders and calling his followers to share the good news, uh, the way, right, the life, as the angel said. He could have left these men in prison to share there. Uh, we see this actually happen later in Acts. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, uh, and this, the, the chains break and the doors are flung open, this kind of supernatural act, and uh, everybody leaves except for Paul and Silas. And so the jailer who's like, oh my goodness, everyone's gone. Uh, it's going to fall on me because I was in charge. He's about to take his own life because he's just so distraught um, that this is his fault that all the prisoners are gone. And Paul and Silas are like, we're still here. We're still here. And they could have left, but they didn't. And they actually end up sharing the good news with this jailer. And so that could have been the case here, but it's not. This time, God wanted them to leave prison and go and preach and teach. And so they do. And they get arrested again. And they're threatened again. And Peter answers again, as he has been doing, filled with the Holy Spirit, as we've seen in the previous chapters. In verse 29, he says, we must obey God not you. Peter recognizes that if there's an authority in his life that's calling him and compelling him to do certain things with his life, then these other authorities on earth are not above or higher than the authority that's called him to do these things. And so he says, you can threaten us, you can arrest us, you can beat us, and you have, basically, right? But God has called us to do these things, and we have to obey God, not you. So I can obey you to a point, but when it comes to your commandments make me disobey what the Lord has called me to do, then I don't have to obey you anymore. Uh, that's kind of the, the blueprint for earthly authority, right? We're supposed to honor authority, respect authority, and fall in line with authority, but if it calls us to compromise what God has called us to do, then we can step outside of that authority if God has commanded something different. We tell our kids this. Um, you need to listen and obey, right? Whether it's mom and dad, whether it's a teacher at school, whether it's another grown-up, you always listen and obey unless they tell you to do something you know is wrong. If someone tells you to do something you know is wrong, then you listen to God and not that grown-up or that authority. Uh, and so that's kind of for all of life, right? And that's what Peter's doing. He's saying, you're telling me to do something that I know is wrong, and I obey God not you. 
So Peter once again proclaims the truth about Jesus, which enrages the high priest and the other leaders. We're going to see enraged multiple times in this passage or in today's text that these leaders are enraged by what's happening, and they want to kill them. But Gamaliel stands up and reminds them of Theodos, who claimed to be somebody, it says, and he even had 400 people following him. But when he was killed, his followers scattered, and the movement died. And then he reminds them about Judas the Galilean. So he's like, case in point number one, case in point number two, he's like, guys, we've got evidence. We've got a precedence here. We've got Theodos, who actually had 400 people following him, which is more than the disciples started with, remember? The disciples didn't have that many when they started praying, 120. And then the Spirit moved, and then it was thousands and thousands, right? The Spirit's moving in these things. And that's after Jesus was killed. So he says, point number one, Theodos. Point number two, Judas the Galilean. He also drew some people away. We don't see his numbers, maybe not as impressive as uh, Theodos's. But it says he died as well. And then his followers scattered, and the movement died with him. So Gamaliel is pointing out that if the apostles of Jesus are pushing a dead-end movement, then it doesn't matter anyway. They might cause a ruckus, they're a flash in the pan, and if, it, if it's just like these other cases, then it won't make a dif- difference in the long run. We shouldn't waste our energy on this. He says, but if God is really in what they're doing, then we can't stop it anyway. So a lot of wisdom coming from this guy to say, why are we wasting our energy? Because either the movement will die when they die, and we'll keep status quo and just business as usual, or these guys are the real deal, and we're going to be in big trouble if we find ourselves in opposition to God. Uh, We don't want to get in that deep. And so uh, they're released, again, after being threatened and beaten, but they're released and said, told not to preach Jesus anymore. So do they stop? No, they don't. Verse 42 says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept preaching and teaching Jesus. Every day, preaching and teaching Jesus. Because what are they doing? They're obeying God, not man. They know that the authority that has called them and commissioned them is higher than the authority that beat them and threatened them. That's faith, right? I mean, these people are physically in front of them. They're beating them. They can lock them up. It's very tangible. And in the face of this, they go out and every day, they don't miss a day, every day they're preaching and teaching Jesus. Basically, if God wants to accomplish something, then he will. It won't be silenced. It won't be squashed. He will preserve us for the purposes he has for us. He will and has preserved his mission since the beginning of time. Over and over again in the Bible, we see people try to eradicate eradicate God's people, God's followers, hoping that the message or the movement would die when the people die. And it doesn't. It almost gets bigger and faster and stronger every time. This church wouldn't be here today. First Baptist Rose Hill, Missio Day Church, wouldn't be here today if God hadn't preserved his people for his mission. If Christianity could have been snuffed out by some power-hungry religious leaders in the first century, it would have been. It would have been, because they tried. Let this encourage us this morning that the mission we've been called to comes from the top. There's no more pressing order coming down the pipe. There's not a, let me check with my boss to see if this is okay kind of moment. The power of this truth means we know what we're supposed to be about. 
we know what mission we're supposed to devote our lives to. There's no question when it comes to weighing our options or wondering if we should live on mission for God or pursue something else. There's no question of whether we should take up something that interferes with the mission of God that he's called us to either. Our primary calling and allegiance is to Jesus. Everything else in our lives is submitted or should be submitted to him and fall under the umbrella of this calling. So we can have, you know, well, God has called me to this with my life. He's created me to do this. I'm good at this. I have a strong desire. I believe it's from the Lord, and often it is. That's great, but it should still all fall under this lifelong mission of what God has called us to do as ambassadors for him. That's our primary calling. Whatever God has created you to be and do, whatever he's made you good at, whatever goals or ambitions, whatever it is, they should fall under the umbrella of, I belong to Christ first, right? I must obey God rather than men, including my own goals and ambitions. So we can rest assured that God will preserve us as long as he wants to for his mission. Which brings us to the next point, as if it weren't already clear, we're on God's mission for the rest of our lives. We're on God's mission for the rest of our lives. This doesn't mean necessarily, of course, that if you're called to mission work or pastoral work, whatever, as a vocation, that there may be seasons where that's not the case. But your life as a follower of Jesus, you are always a follower of Jesus. And so the mission, the commission on your life never changes until you die. So I want to skip over the first part of chapter 6. We're going to hit that next week um, when they choose the, the, the seven to serve in the church. But we are going to talk about Stephen, who's actually one of those seven, and how Stephen shows us what perseverance on mission for life looks like. Stephen is brought in. Um, he's arrested, as many of God's followers have been, as we've seen. Uh, and they bring in false witnesses. They're like, we're going to get this guy. Like, we're going to get one, right? We need a win. And so they get these false witnesses to testify against Stephen that are lying. Um, they're trying to make it foolproof this time. So they can have silenced at least one follower and maybe kind of brag about this victory. And so they start to ask Jesus about the charges against him, right? Uh, they're usually charging blasphemy and these kinds of things because they try to say that as people are explaining the scriptures in light of Jesus, that they're, uh, they're explaining the scriptures in a way that's blasphemous or illegal or wrong. So that's how they kind of bring these charges. Uh, that's what they try to get Jesus, right, um, charged with as well. And so uh, they ask Stephen to answer these charges, and he preaches this amazing sermon. I don't have time to read it all to you uh, or break it down. Uh, I would encourage you to, to read it. And if you want to talk about it later, then that would be awesome. Um, it's, it's chapter 7 of Acts, basically. Um, and, and so he starts, he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes to the, the patriarchs, back to like Abraham. Uh, and he starts to work his way through. And he connects all of these promises and prophecies to the Old Testament to Jesus, right? And they're probably kind of okay with like, oh, yeah, we know what he's talking about. We like where he's going. He's talking about, you know, Abraham and, uh, and the fathers and all that kind of awesome stuff. And then he gets to Jesus, and of course, uh, they are unhappy about it. This Jesus, he says, who they rejected and murdered. So you wonder why they're unhappy about it, right? So we're going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 54, after Stephen's amazing, amazing sermon, uh, where he calls them out again calls them stiff-necked people uh, who resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did. Anyway, um, 
he, he's very, uh, he doesn't pull any punches either. He's kind of Peter-esque in this, and we believe it's the spirit in Stephen, as it was the, the spirit in Peter, um, that spoke so boldly. But Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. So again, they're often enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So once again, they are enraged that someone is preaching Jesus. Stephen, in the midst of this, looks up. He sees Jesus. And instead of just enjoying this moment, keeping it to himself, enjoying the grace of God that he gets a glimpse of, uh, of heaven and seeing Jesus standing looking at him, he testifies about it. He can't stop speaking about what he's seen and heard, even in this moment when God is, in a sense, kind of comforting him amidst his last moments. He testifies about it, which drives them even angrier. They plug their ears. They're so sick of hearing what he's saying, invoking the name of God. There's almost a sense of which they, they recognize like God does have his hand on this person, but it's, it's so against what we want and what we've built for ourselves, and we, we don't want to hear the truth. And so we plug our ears and charge after him. And they're stoning him to death, right? This was a trial, and they've skipped over waiting for a verdict because he's just enraged them so much. They've just rendered the verdict themselves. And so they drag him out of town and they start to kill him. And as he is dying, he prays. He prays that Jesus would receive him. Not as if he's unsure. It's not a moment of, Jesus, have I lived a good enough life, so please welcome me in. He's basically just saying, Jesus, take me home, right? A sense of submission and finality to a life of faith lived out. He's clocking out of his mission, in a sense. And with his final breath, he prays, like Jesus did, for forgiveness for those who are killing him. He prays for the forgiveness of his killers. This is a picture of a mission for life. This shows us when our mission is over, when we have no more breath in our lungs. We're not all called to die in the same manner that Stephen did. He's known as the first martyr. But we are all called to live as Stephen did until God calls us home. Every plan, every ambition, every goal we have in life should be surrendered to this greater calling, this greater mission that God has called us to. Because it's the greatest truth that we carry, hope for new life, transformation. 
It's not a phase or stage of life. Like I was into Jesus for a while and kind of did the Jesus thing for a little bit. We are in Christ. And God doesn't look at us that way. I will secure you and hold you and sustain you for a little bit. No, we are sealed forever, for eternity in the Holy Spirit. And so God has called us to this mission to live out for the rest of our lives. It never ends. It can be a little overwhelming to think, I, I'm never going to accomplish it, right? I'm never going to be able to check a box and say, uh, I've done everything God has called me to do. But that's not a, it's not about performance. It's about surrender. Is everything we do surrendered to God's plans for us? Doesn't mean we can't pursue different goals and ambitions and dreams, different vocations, different plans. Doesn't mean that. But they all should be surrendered to this greater mission on our lives. Our mission is never finished as long as we live. Every moment is an opportunity to live by faith and declare that faith to others, right? To not just enjoy the grace of God, not just to glimpse into heaven and see Jesus standing. And it's a really cool moment because every other reference that there is to Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. But when Stephen looks up, Jesus is standing and looking at him. It's a very unique moment. And Stephen could have just enjoyed it, right? He could have just taken in the view and received that grace. But he extends it to others and says, I've just seen Jesus standing at the right hand of God. <clears throat> The question, I, just to, to, to end on, is, is are you living your mission? Are we living our mission? Are we extending the grace of God to others? Have we surrendered all of our plans, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions to God's plans for us? God will bless us in the process. He might test us in the process. We walk through trials. We walk through all kinds of things. Rarely do we walk through what the apostles were walking through in, in what we read today, and they still remained faithful. So are we living on mission? Are we being obedient to what God has called us to? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for uh, inviting us into um, to mission. Thank you for, for making it really clear what, what you want us to do with our lives. You call us to, to enjoy you, to, to obey your commandments, to, to live a certain way that, that we might be set apart and, and uh, walk in obedience, that we might uh, be holy as Christ is holy, that we might become more and more like Jesus uh, as you conform us into his image by faith. And so that's all uh, amazing. But part of that, part of becoming more like Jesus is just this life surrendered to you that what we do with our lives is mission for you. You've given us a message. You've given us uh, a hope. You've given us mercy and grace, not just to enjoy and walk in, but to extend to others, to share with others until you call us home. For some, it's a short time. For some, it's decades long life lived on mission thank you God for uh, preserving us for your mission sustaining us giving us the spirit for the strength the power um, the, the, 
memory to remember what Jesus has taught, the boldness. God, may we have faith to, to believe, to walk in these truths, to live on mission for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.